It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. The California Report covers a new climate-conscious, all-electric housing development in a Riverside County city. Then, after a look at regional news and weather, KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Orion Ray Scott speaks with author Kim Culbertson about the practice of book banning and how it might affect young people and historians alike. That's all before Mark Cunaberti discusses the use of gold as a financial asset in today's edition of Money Matters. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. California has more farm workers than any other state, and some are children as young as 12 years old. But a bill just introduced in the House by Coachella Valley Congressman Raul Ruiz would put stricter limits on kids working in agriculture. KQED's Taiki Hendricks explains. Federal laws protecting workers don't always apply to agriculture, and that's true for child labor laws as well. Mili Trevino Saucera started working in the fields at age eight, and she knows how dangerous farm work can be. There's been too many accidents. It happened to us. My siblings had many accidents. I had accidents. Trevino Saucera is the head of the National Alliance of Farmworker Women. She says the CARE Act is long overdue. It would treat agriculture the same as other occupations, with a minimum age of 14 and limits on the number of hours kids can work. For The California Report, I'm Taiki Hendricks. Residents are moving into an all-electric housing development in the sunny, dry city of Menifee in Riverside County. KQED climate reporter Laura Clivens explains that the neighbors will be sharing more than food at their block parties. Hello! Hello. How are you? Justine Yadi Conrique and Michael Conrique opened the front door to the cream-colored, one-story home they moved into about a month ago. With Ziggy, of course. She is our puppy, Ziggy. She's six months. I'll get a leash for her real quick. Sorry. They're first-time homeowners in this newly constructed development called Durango at Shadow Mountain. Generally, when you buy a home, it's more of a selfish decision. You're just thinking about your family's future. But here, things feel different. Buying into this home specifically, it felt like we were still making an impact. We like to think of ourselves as climate activists, so we just want to make sure we're still playing our part. There are roughly 200 single-family homes here, all designed to create zero harmful greenhouse gas emissions. The outsides of these homes don't scream Jetsons, though there is solar on each rooftop. But inside, there are electric water and space heaters, induction stoves, and a backup battery in every garage. And Justine and Michael run mostly everything from apps. Their home kind of functions like an app. Being able to have control over your house with the touch of your fingers and air condition, definitely nice. But the thing that's really unique about this community is the idea of community. Justine and Michael won't just be sharing extra lemons or letting someone know they left their garage door open. We're all contributing our actual energy to this big community battery that once ours is charged, that it keeps going there to really keep us all safe. These homes are connected to an industrial-scale container ship-sized battery and to each other through a microgrid. That's a self-contained system that can run even if power from a utility shuts off. 
The U.S. Department of Energy has put more than $6 million into this project to help develop it and study how it goes. The Energy Department thinks individual electric technologies are ready for the big time and wants to know how they work together. Assistant Secretary Alejandro Moreno. How the solar generation interacts with the battery, interacts with the vehicle charging, with the heating, with the appliances. Moreno's also watching how partnerships between people are playing out, like a home builder, a solar provider, and a utility. Just as important is how different people and organizations work together, build trust, and work across fields that previously may not have had to to engage with each other. A lot remains to be seen with a project like this and how it could scale for a greener future. For one, these homes are all market rate with a price tag of five to $600,000. And this kind of subdevelopment contributes to suburban sprawl. KB Home is the developer behind this community and says properties are selling faster than comparable ones in the area. And Justine Yandy-Conrique likes the people who are moving in. Everyone has that type of friendliness here of like we're all in this together, of like contributing to the world and what we could do. And modeling, being some of the first people that are willing to take a chance and do something different. She says it's scary to change how we do things, but worth it. That was KQED climate reporter Laura Clivens. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from HintWater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. A Tuesday night A's game at the Oakland Coliseum is normally a pretty quiet affair. But tonight, thousands will be showing up for what's being called a reverse boycott. The idea sprouted from Vacaville resident Stu Clary, a longtime A's fan who was frustrated by the team's ownership and efforts to move the franchise to Las Vegas. Every other team, they retain their best players. They don't trade everyone away the moment they get good. They don't double the ticket prices and trade away all the best players. They don't let the stadium fall into disrepair and tell us what a crappy place it is. So in April, Clary tweeted out the idea of a reverse boycott, where fans would show up in droves to support the team. He wanted to choose a weeknight game when school was out and the A's weren't playing a popular team. That would give fans the best chance to show their true frustration with owner John Fisher. It's not the fans' fault. This guy is mismanaging his product. Clary says he knows this won't sway the mind of Fisher to move the team, but he wants the rest of Major League Baseball to know the team has enough support to stay in Oakland. In other news, California is the most fun state in the country. That's according to WalletHub, a personal finance company that ranked the 50 states on a 100-point scale for its study released on Monday. The states were ranked on 26 key indicators in entertainment, recreation, and nightlife categories. The study considered restaurants and fitness per capita. It also considered the cost of these activities, using data from the U.S. Census and U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. 
California racked up the most points with a total score of 64.6. Right behind the Golden State were Florida and Nevada. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, June 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, in a news release today, the Nevada County Auditor Controller's Office announced that it detected an identity fraud incident on Friday, June 9th. The incident resulted in a payment of $46,000, though no county IT systems or services were accessed, breached, or compromised. The cybercriminal successfully requested the payment by impersonating a county vendor, despite multiple layers of review. The Auditor Controller's Office claims that it has taken immediate steps to ensure additional independent verification processes are in place, including directly contacting vendors by phone when any vendor information changes are requested. Our office takes incidents like this very seriously, Nevada County Auditor Controller Gina Will said in the release. Quote, We are committed to doing everything we can to catch this type of fraud before it happens, including continuously evaluating and strengthening our processes as these scams become more persistent. In 2023, 500,000 reported fraud attempts have been performed nationwide, resulting in over $1.7 billion in total loss. Social engineering, a deceptive scamming method that involves using easily accessible online information to gain the trust of victims, is commonly used by cybercriminals. The county continues to work closely with its departments to prevent and reduce the risk of identity fraud incidents like these. The county is working closely with law enforcement to investigate the incident. But they note that it's important that unfortunate incidents like these are made public in the interest of transparency and to raise awareness and deter cybercriminals. And when it comes to keeping yourself safe, there are certain things you can do to stay ahead of the game. Here are just a few. You can double-check for any misspellings from trusted sources' emails or texts, be suspicious of unsolicited messages, and don't click on links or open files in any messages you're suspicious of. It's also valuable to be cautious, in general, of what personal information you share online. Information and General Services Agency Director Steve Monahan said that with the prevalence of these types of scams today, it's not a matter of if, but when, especially when all the information needed to impersonate someone one of our county's vendors in this case, is readily available to them online. He said, quote, Every county staff member and contractor is invested in trying to identify and stop these types of scams, participating in about 350 hours of training each quarter across our organization, but they can happen to anybody. In another media release, the County of Nevada announced today that the CalFresh Market Match program will be returning to Grass Valley and Nevada City farmers markets this summer and fall. The program is a partnership between Nevada County's Social Services and Connecting Point that provides CalFresh recipients with an EBT dollar match. While funds last, CalFresh customers are eligible to match up to $15 of EBT funds purchased at each participating market throughout the season. This means that participants can receive up to $45 in tokens each week. This year, participating farmers markets include the market in Grass Valley's Pine Creek Shopping Center and the Nevada City Farmers Market in downtown Nevada City. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 57. Wednesday, increasing clouds with a high near 79. Wednesday night, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 57. 
For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms before midnight, mostly cloudy with a low around 45. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 71. Wednesday night, partly cloudy with a low around 43. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 58. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 87. Wednesday night, mostly clear with a low around 58. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The discussion of book banning, as well as the practice itself of banning books, is nothing new. But its cultural and legal relevance in a politically tense climate appears to be stronger than ever. Up next, KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Orion Reishkot speaks with local author and teacher Kim Colbertson about the bigger picture that book banning creates. Book banning is not an unknown topic. Across the country, there have been anti-book bills being put into place, empty bookcases, and a wonder on how it affects student learning. I interviewed Kim Colbertson, a local author, teacher, and parent, to see what her thoughts are on book banning and if it has room in her county. What are your feelings on book banning in general? Well, my feelings on book banning in general are I'm 100% opposed to banning books. It takes away freedom of speech and a freedom of personal agency in the way that we acquire information. I think, obviously, that like parents should be able to decide what they do and do not want their kids reading. I don't think they should decide for all other parents. The thing about books is books create thoughts. They create a place for people to chew over ideas and to think about things in a deep way and to say, like, do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? Then I asked, what do we have to worry about when books get banned? What we mostly have to be concerned with when books start getting heavily banned is what kind, why are they trying to keep us from doing that? And what are the kind of historical groups that have been very, promo, like very much promoted book banning? Do we want to be in camp with those people? How would you feel if someone tried to ban one of your books? Well, the original, when it first happened to me, I was mostly shocked because I consider my work pretty seems pretty mainstream to me. Like a lot of my work tends to be just kids trying to figure out, you know, their life, trying to do the right thing, trying to find the right people. It's been shocking when they've been banned for a variety of ideas. Um, Songs for Teenage Nomad was banned because they didn't think the mother, the portrayal of the mom was wholesome. Oh, her mom sleeps around. That's shocking. Like other kids' moms do this. And it's maybe we should like not make that such a like this horrific thing. And it mostly, too, it just lets them see that they might see themselves in a book, you know, and be like, oh, I'm not alone. How do you think book banning is affecting youth and their learning? So there's two things that I think are happening. It's One is very much on a micro level, where I don't think kids have access to the kind of representation they need to be reading. On a macro level, I worry about the weaponizing, the political weaponizing of reading, right, as an actual act. Because I think the more they put out there that books are bad, books are bad, books are bad, the fewer readers we end up with across the board. If you say one thing that Kim Culbertson thinks about books is that they are empathy engines. They really encourage and inspire all of us to think outside ourselves. 
I also interviewed Nick Wilchek, Nevada County's county librarian. He is a director of library services in all six Nevada County libraries. I wanted to know if book banning was even an issue in our county. How often do you deal with book banning requests? I've worked in this position for three years, and in that time, I have not had any specific book challenges. It is a big national issue, so it's on my radar in that way, and it's on my radar as a thing that's always possible in our community. One of the things that I love about our community is that it is so diverse in thought and lifestyle and all sorts of different ways. And one of the things that means is that we have a really large variety of books at the library. Um, Everyone deserves to see themselves in the library collection, and it's our responsibility to make sure that people see themselves in the library collection. Then he talks about the one time someone was opposed to a book display at the library. I have had a situation where a library user expressed concern about a pride display at one of our libraries. I had an opportunity to speak with that person, and it went incredibly well. I explained how, while some materials might not be right for that person's family, there are other families in the county that are indeed looking for those sorts of materials, and that our job as the library is to make available materials of all different kinds, again, so people see themselves in the collection. And by the time I finished the the conversation with that library patron, it was really nice to see that they understood what I was saying. They understood the intent of what we were trying to accomplish, and we came to this place of mutual understanding. So that's the closest I have had to an actual book ban challenge with that situation. That was a really long answer. I'm kind of proud of that. No, I feel like it went pretty well. You're good. It was, I'm the more, the better, honestly. Um, next question okay. I have is, uh, well, I guess, I don't know. I guess I, I kind of assumed that there would be more like, yes, I've had like a million. I don't know. So I guess these questions are kind of difficult considering, um, you've been fortunate and I kind of I guess I expected the worst out of Nevada County no 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 and and I think that's fair I you know like what you read nationally or what you hear nationally is that you know you hear the worst stories of the worst stories right um and so no I have been um incredibly touched and heartened and I think it speaks really highly of our community um that we can have such a broad variety of materials and, and a library constituency that's really supportive of that. Kim Colbertson and Nick Wilchek agree that instead of book banning, there should be systems for books. So I would like to sort of suggest that rather than argue that there's a place for banning, I think there's a place for systems. There's a reason the children's literature industry provides things like ratings and levels and content disclaimers Libraries don't collect every book. We couldn't conceivably do it. So we have a policy and a criteria that we use to select books. We would not collect books that fall outside of that criteria and outside of that policy. Can't think of a situation in which we would remove a book from the collection that 
had been added in accordance with our collection development policy and was aligned with the philosophy of the library's collection. Do you think that book banning is necessary? I think that book banning is scary and dangerous and a terrible idea. I think that open discussion and disagreement and healthy discussion and healthy disagreement about books is wonderful. Why I don't want there to be any banned books is I just want people to open up their hearts and minds to what's possible. This is Orion Reichcott from KVMR's Community Radio Youth News Corps. The KVMR Youth News Corps is funded by AJA Video Systems, a privately owned global video technology company based in Grass Valley, California, since 1993. AJA Video Systems is deeply dedicated to the Grass Valley and Nevada City community, recognizing the need for investment in youth and education initiatives. Is investing in gold really worth it? With value that seems to ignore the trends of inflation, it might be a tempting financial asset. In today's edition of Money Matters, Mark Cunaberti explores the price of gold, the reality of keeping gold coins, and the potential value of a diversified portfolio. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. The price of gold continues to give head fakes, bumping up into the $2,000 an ounce range and backing off again and again. Gold bugs get their hopes up then are discouraged when it falls again. The question becomes, when will gold claim victory and plow upwards and stay above the $2,000 level? Often thought of as an inflation hedge, I get asked whether investors should add gold for their portfolio to protect against inflation. I have always said we must be clear about why we own an asset, and having such clarification makes us better understand what to expect from that investment. For example, I own my car to have transportation, and one might own a gun or a dog for protection. We don't look to those things to make us a profit. I own my house to live in it, not to solidify my retirement. Maybe a rental house might fill that spot, but not my primary residence. In the mid-2000s, some thought a house was a retirement solution, and when the housing market crashed, they found out homes were primarily a place to live in instead of counting on them to boost retirement savings. When considering gold, if an investor buys gold to make a profit, gold stocks might be a better place to be than owning physical gold coins. I regard holding gold coins as a hedge against financial Armageddon and not making a profit. That is because physical gold in your hand has a significant tax requirement put on by the IRS. The IRS taxes capital gains on gold the same way it does any other investment, but if you have bought physical gold, you will likely owe a higher tax rate of 28% as a collectible item, similar to collectible art. Physical gold also has a healthy spread between the buy and sell price, sometimes as much as 10% or more. All things considered, however, physical gold does have its place for some investors. If one believes the price of gold will increase, gold stocks might be a better way to go as the tax rate can be like any other stock. Additionally, gold stocks may move exponentially higher than the spot price of gold. If gold rises $100, gold stocks may increase by a higher percentage than the coins themselves. Stocks are also easier to buy through any brokerage account, and one doesn't need expertise as far as what to buy. Keep in mind, however, what gold stocks to buy does require some research. There are gold funds that attempt to mirror the price of gold one-to-one, and any financial professional should be able to walk you through what to consider based on the risk 
profile and the expectation that you may have. There are rumors that the gold price is manipulated by governments as the price could be considered as a thermometer of the health of currencies. A higher gold price may mean the monetary cools of government are being abused through higher deficits and excessive money creation by central bankers. Whether governments actually fear a spike in gold prices is a subject of controversy, but the rumor is out there. Remember, gold is recognizable worldwide, and even central banks all over the world maintain a healthy store of it. Gold is rare, hard to find, cannot be printed by central bankers like paper dollars can, and may be one of the only constant where money is concerned. It has also been around since the beginning of civilization and has always been accepted as a store of value. Centuries ago, gold could buy a suit of armor and a good meal, and today an ounce of gold can still buy a nice suit and a meal. So one could say the buying power of gold has never yielded to inflationary pressures. That said, the decision to buy gold is one for consideration as a diversified holding in one's portfolio. For those wishing to hold physical gold, there are many reputable dealers on the web, and you can shop one against the other for the best price. Be aware that price can change rapidly, and the quote you get may only be good for the day of the quote. Ask the dealer for their specific terms, of course. For gold stocks and funds, your financial professional should be able to answer any questions you may have. I also welcome any questions by email at moneymatters at kvmr.org. I'm watching the market so you don't have to, and remember, this newscast expresses my opinion only is not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell anything, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff, members, or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors, 1979, and California insurance license, OLC4249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com and is free to all of you, our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, June 13th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Gem. Have a great night.